Hi everyone, welcome to the Inside Asperger's Podcast, a show where I'm trying to reach out to a world that determined that I couldn't. A show where I try to be concise, which is something I and my peers are going to naturally struggle with. And I'm your host, Simon Hubner. You know, it's frankly messed up, I even have to say this, but with the school year upon us, I just want to share a prediction based on the Google News alerts I've set for both autism and Asperger's. It's a little bit different, but it seems like once a year, once or twice a year out of all the uh, shootings by teenagers, people start to look at reasons to play the blame game. I really don't know how else to say it, but they're going to start looking at this part of somebody's upbringing, how their brain's wired, and a lot of times it's going to go back to an autism diagnosis as part of a legal defense. To make sense of this, I've got a couple of lawyer friends whom I know from outside of the law. I thought they could help me make sense of this. So with no further delay, I want to welcome my friends AJ Gill and Chris Nikitas to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us, yeah. We met each other through comedy. It's been an interest, a love of mine, a social activity, and that's really how we met at Open Mics. Mm-hmm. And how it's hard to remember exactly when we met, but we started chatting about a wide variety of different subjects, and y'all were uh, pretty happy to be on here. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I brought y'all in here because I knew y'all had a legal background. Mm-hmm. So, AJ, if you want to share a little bit about yours first, go right ahead. Yeah, I, um, I graduated from uh, Villanova University School of Law, graduated back in 2008. So that's in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. I then took the Pennsylvania and New Jersey bars. And then after that, I practiced for about three years doing immigration law and some criminal defense law. That background, that'll help fill in a lot of the gaps that I have. And Chris, how about you? Yeah, graduated from Emory University's law school in 2011. I'm still licensed to practice here in Georgia, and I have been since then. My focus, when I first got out, I worked for the Fulton County Public Defender's Office as an intern for a few months, and then bounced to my current position. Okay, so there's a little bit of an overlap. I know public defenders, they tend to be long hours, very thankless job. Yeah, it's a very heavy caseload. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I meant with long hours. Yeah, of course. Okay, so let's just say a sample case. To the untrained eye, which is mine, I hear somebody say, oh, we're looking for insanity defense. We're looking to plead, well, hey, somebody didn't seem fully responsible because it could be this problem, it could be that problem. And this flies right in the face of several of my opinions about autism and what I was diagnosed with. What are some of the terms people should know whenever you hear, okay, well, there's this mitigating factor, that mitigating factor? Maybe they weren't in their right mind. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Chris. Mm-hmm. What are some terms the public should know? Well, up top, I mean, just in terms of any criminal case, the first two things you're going to have to have are what are called the actus reus and the mens rea. Uh-huh. And the actus is just the physical act of whatever happens. So to go back to your earlier example, if there is a shooting, just the literal act of someone pulling the trigger. Uh-huh. The mens rea is the intention to commit that act, not necessarily the intention to kill or to maim or whatever, but the literal intention of pulling that trigger. Huh. So that's where mens rea is going to come in. It's going to be the intention to commit whatever the act was. Is there a little bit of a difference between shooting to intimidate or shooting right at somebody? In terms of the mens rea itself, not really. Because if you shoot to intimidate and you still kill somebody, like you shoot an innocent bystander, right. that's doctrine of transferred intent right there. You can. Yeah, I mean, I think you would get out of maybe a... That, that would come down to your mens rea question, as he was mm-hmm. saying. So the actus reus is still, you're pulling the trigger. So you're trying to shoot a bullet from a gun. Now, maybe the actus is different. The mens rea crosses over differently if you think the gun is unloaded, for instance. Yeah. And you point it at somebody. Then your intention was never to shoot a bullet out of that gun because you believe there is no bullet in that gun. So that goes to your mens rea, your intent with your action. And so I think that the question you're coming to with a with an insanity defense is one of, did this person have the capacity to make this act, to decide to do this act? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you get into questions of diminished capacity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fundamental level. It's the, the act has to be separated from the intention. Okay. And so diminished capacity is, y'all can fill in the blanks here. So that's, is that still treated as a viable defense in some states? When you talk about diminished capacity, it comes down to that's a blanket term for a bunch of different tests that you would use in different states. Mm -hmm. So if you're using a criminal insanity defense, the defense varies from state to state. What you have to make out to establish that defense. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Looking at the infamous Tweaky defense, I'm not an expert on it, but for those who don't know, it was when I believe a city supervisor was mad about a promotion. Yeah, it's the Harvey Milk case. So yes. anybody who's familiar with Harvey Milk's story, he was mm-hmm. killed by a co-worker in city government. And the Twinkie defense was, in the media, portrayed one way, and the way it was actually delivered was something very different. Yeah. In the media, the claim was that Twinkies had made this guy crazy, which is not the defense that was presented. The defense that was presented was this guy was a health nut, but in the days leading up to this crime, he started eating all sorts of junk food and basically acting very unlike himself very right and so it was a component of his insanity defense that he was not acting as himself so he had some sort of impairment whatever the impairment may be gotcha a lot of what horrified the state of california well the voters anyway i was trying to look that part up and trying to make sense of it some of the facts of the case were that the shooter loaded extra bullets and planned a way around metal detectors it took a high degree of planning a lot of times, it sounds like a contradiction in terms that we're finding a sort of exception to, well, he did it. When these things take a ton of planning, and the state of California, I found out, was so horrified that in a referendum, the voters said, no, this shouldn't be under the law, three years later, and then voted it down. I'm the one not licensed to practice law here. Not sure I was going with that one. Why am I explaining the law to y'all? <laughs> so there's a difference between a diminished capacity and an insanity defense, AJ. Yeah, I'd say use diminished capacity, like I say, as an umbrella term. It's used in all sorts. So it can be used in a field of law. For instance, uh, if somebody wants to have physician-assisted suicide, do they have the capacity to make that decision? Mm-hmm. Or somebody signing a will, did they have diminished capacity at the time, meaning were they able to understand Constantly, yeah. what was going yes. on with their will? And so diminished capacity is a broad legal term. When you have the insanity defense, you're looking from state to state at a particular test, basically. Yeah. That sounds like a great argument for estate planning, by the way, AJ. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody listening to this, go ahead, get all that ironed out. Yeah. Let's see. Chris, when mm-hmm. we've been speaking about this before, mm-hmm. people tend to associate insanity as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's clearly not what it is. So if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, a lot of people see that, but in a lot of cases, the court will still recommend or even in many cases just force the defendant into some kind of an outpatient system or put them in a in some kind of a, of a ward or, or facility. It's not just not guilty by reason of insanity, and then, boom, you're skipping down the street the next day. It's really not often that. There's often assignments of psychological care. There's assignments of a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah, I would say in the majority of cases that I've encountered is that you you actually would end up serving more time <laughs> if you are found insane, not guilty by reason of insanity, than you would necessarily in like outside of a first degree murder case. That's what I'm trying to get put away for you know a long, long time in a state institution. Mm-hmm. Yes, it sounds like the system of appeals will be less exhaustive when someone is committed to such long-term psychiatric care. Yeah, it's not considered uh, true confinement because there is a condition of wellness or whatever condition non-harm non-threat to the society that's left there as opposed to in and it's the doctors who were there who were making that determination it's not usually necessarily an objective outsider it's somebody inside the system who's yeah very good point how does this play into disability which should be a simple concept but it's very very easily complicated very much stigmatized the word should be pretty simple latin wise dis apart from ability that's pretty self-explanatory yeah going back to the earlier example someone shows a high degree 
of planning and they're part of my club, so to speak, it always sounded like a contradiction in terms. It's like a lot of us might have kind of a sensory problem and yet somehow the high degree of planning with shooting or blowing something up, all of a sudden it's almost like, wait, there's no sensory problem. This one knows exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I know I'm babbling right now, but this is something that I've tried to think long and hard about. The notion of disability, it's been a little hard to wrap my head around for the following reasons. When I started looking at this, I'm like, the first time I saw my peers say, no, nah, we're disabled. I'm like, better define what you're specifically disabled at. There's a difference between owning your flaws and then putting a kick me sign on you. Mm -hmm. sure. As a full disclosure, I was on a comment thread on Facebook that I'd say it was a fellow autistic peer. This is in 2015. I see a link. I'm like, it was something quoting a disability rights activist. This is like a major handicap. So a lot of times for me and my peers, there are going to be certainly extenuating circumstances going on. And I put my foot in my mouth and then I went to a mic and bombed. That's pretty common as a comedian <laughs> on this fellow's comment section. And I go back, I see my comment section. I'm like, oh dear God, even if it wasn't midnight, I'm like, well, that's a lot of comments. I got to take a knee. <laughs> I felt horrible about it. I think one thing that we're sort of getting at is I think you resent the idea of a disability being used as an excuse for a bad actor that otherwise seems like they're very cognizant of what they're doing. But I think you also have to look at why we use disability. Discussions of disability come into the story at all in these situations, and usually it's because the defense has a vested interest in establishing that as a potential defense. So they get out as much of this mm -hmm. as possible ahead of the trial so that they have a chance to perhaps negotiate <laughs> a plea deal for insanity to avoid death penalty or avoid any other serious consequence along those lines. And then you have the other side that wants to label people as insane who commit these crimes because then it absolves other bad actors. <laughs> these are usually uh, gun proponents. You get this a lot of times, people coming out and trying to label people as lone wolves and insane rather than looking at maybe systemic issues. Hmm. So I think those those two angles play a lot into this being used as quote-unquote an excuse for yeah. a bad actor. Right. A little column A, a little column B. Obviously, anybody who has their day in court deserves a defense. And this, nobody in their right mind would want to deny somebody a proper defense. But I start to wonder, and you can tell me if there's anything to this, that getting a lot of this stuff out, and it could be for any reason, any group of people, I start to wonder when negative stereotypes come into play for the whole rest of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, am I just being paranoid? Is that a very real concern? Well, I think that's certainly Absolutely, an yeah. issue. Yeah. The fear there is that you use this as a predictor of bad actors. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so the idea that, okay, if this person, person A commits this horrible crime, but they suffer from Asperger's, then all Asperger's people are more likely to commit these crimes. Yeah, that's projected the on the rest job. of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Now, as I've said to a few people, I'd rather screen people out by my appearance than act charming when I'm clearly not. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it, fair. It, I would say there's an explanation of someone like me is actually the opposite of a psychopath who shows emotion yet doesn't seem to feel anything. They're only about themselves and their aims. I think a lot of this is kind of paranoia from the past without making this about myself, but mm -hmm. back to this notion of disability, it is just a massive, massive gray area. And so I've wondered without naming too many details, what y'all's experience has been in court when this has come up. I have never had to assert an insanity defense on a case. I never tried cases that were at that level where that would be a likely defense. So my familiarity is mostly academic and having read news articles, familiarity with other people who have asserted it before. I've talked to attorneys who have had insanity defense cases, but I've never asserted it myself. Yeah, same. I've never been in a position where I had to do that. When I was still with Fulton County, it was all drug and property crimes, and it almost never comes up in those kinds of cases. So much like AJ, mine has been purely academic. It was in law school and on the bar exam. Okay. It's interesting. Back to this notion of a disability. 
to where my first reaction was. As far as Asperger's is concerned, sounded ridiculous at first, but I try to be open to different arguments and hope that my opinions aren't always going to be fixed. But I would say I and my type, we don't really deal with gray areas. Mm -hmm. It can come in many forms. It seems like a double-edged sword to say, like, the last thing that I would want to mess with is, well, somebody has a disability payment or this benefit. I mean, mm -hmm. that's an insurance thing that we all pay for with our taxes, and a lot of mm -hmm. folks, they really need it and rely on it. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of us are stubborn as heck like me. <laughs> There's others, but it always seemed like the same rights that are given, it always seemed like the same organization that would give you something could just as easily take rights away. Case in point, the ADA. No, if any of the regulations have been rolled back. They've talked about rolling back some of them. I know the most mm -hmm. recent one was rolling back attorney's fees on ADA suits, which is what used to basically get those brought forward so people weren't ADA compliant, didn't have ramps, et cetera, et cetera. Then if you won in one of those cases, attorney's fees would be paid. They're trying to roll that back to limit the number of those cases. I should do more research on the Americans with Disabilities Act. <laughs> There's always something to look up yeah. and read, and that is something that would be very beneficial for me and my type to know like the back of our hands. All right. There are two ways that a lot of folks, when they're disabled, they would look at it like a medical model. That's basically a problem to be fixed, or a social model, which is defined by barriers caused by either a physical environment, inappropriate or inaccessible services or attitudes, a lack of understanding, a distinguish between an impairment and disability, or focus down to three parts, environmental, attitudinal, or organizational. I'm trying to make sense of this on the fly. Well, one way you were talking about history before, and I think mm -hmm. that just the descriptions of types of disability or types of perspective of disability shows us how far we've come. Because historically, you know, some of these insanity defense tests we see, they're from a historical period where we basically just, it was an A or B. You were mm -hmm. insane or not. Right. <laughs> and that was yeah. it. And insanity was just this general, again, umbrella, all-catching idea. Mm -hmm. And we had no real idea of what the effects were and how it operated in actual society. It was just that person's insane, get them out of here, and then move on. Mm -hmm. There must have been a lot more people in mental institutions under that system. Sure, oh, absolutely, yeah. Abandoned, basically. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Now, we've, I mean, we've been slow to catch up, but the legal system is catching up with it. Yeah. But we're getting there. Well, again, it's a massive gray area. Mm -hmm. Let me backtrack. You may have known someone a little bit like me mm -hmm. growing up or in school when y'all were little. Someone with some similar tendencies. Talked a little bit funny. Maybe it was a little bit weird. Didn't really make a ton of friends. Growing up, did you know anybody who that would sort of fit? I definitely knew kids like that. I think that they were on the further end of disability in terms of their level of cognitive ability, communication ability, things like that. I don't remember having as many peers directly that were not in very specialized programs and kids who, mm -hmm. like I said, had what I would consider severe impairment. Yeah. In my high school, the staff was enormous, so they had everyone very compartmentalized. So I think that benefited people who had more of a stronger disability or were further down the spectrum. So I didn't really see too many as a result because they were in their class and I was in mine. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I guess here's the sort of profile I was looking for. Mm -hmm. When I see folks that sort of fit a certain profile, it's I'll see people who just try to memorize their way out of everything. Mm -hmm. They have a hard time seeing the big picture. They're just lost on the details, harping on them. And they seem to care just way too much about said details. <laughs> yeah. That's the sort of thing that I'm looking for. I guess I just wonder if how many people, if I'm their first Hansberger friend. Yeah, I think that's very possible and also probably possible that I just didn't recognize it and people I knew and yeah. friends of mine because Same. that was not something that was as publicized at that point. I don't think people understood how Asperger's worked and how the spectrum sort of operated, what sort of levels there were. I think that there was, again, we were at a level where we 
sort of said, these are the disabled kids, they go here. These are the non-disabled kids, they go here. And they were less understanding of that. I think it's being identified more. I was more at the level where ADD was a fad and a trend, seemingly. Like a big catch-all. Yeah, just being yeah. diagnosed for everybody. Ritalin yes. was mm-hmm. massive. And then they sort of became more segmented and more individualized diagnoses. Yeah, I think I can still remember when the phrase spectrum started being used. I, st- I remember mm-hmm. being cognizant of that happening and thinking... Okay, that I can see that applying to some people I knew various ends of the spectrum. I was like, this makes a lot more sense. I can process that. I don't even think I heard the word Asperger's until I was probably in college, maybe even law school. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been later for me as well. I Interesting. Really not heard it in high mm-hmm. school. No. I didn't know what it was until I was 15, there believe you. it or not. I, gen- older than that, yeah. I generally wouldn't recommend telling a kid, hey, this is what you have. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> also... This name goes to show everything sounds far classier with a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to start coming out in different episodes. I had the Ender's Game of this treatment. Mm-hmm. Autism treatment. I remember there was this book, Reading Assignment, 4th Grade, Number of the Stars, Lois Lowry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I can pick this up pretty easily, which for those who don't know, it's about a Danish family hiding a Jewish girl in early 1940s. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I got this. This is going to be easy. I'm nine years old, and this is kind of how I read just in general. So... I'm holding a composition book right in front of me, and I'll just sort of look at one half. So I'm looking at the right half, and it was like a race car without brakes. I'm looking at one page, turn the page, turn the page. Now, our eyes, when we're reading, want to go up and down, mm-hmm. not left and right. They're little strategies. So I remember a few classmates were like, wow, you're going really fast. Meanwhile, I don't remember anything past the third chapter. That's no comprehension. Mm-hmm. I finished this book. I'm supposed to take a reading comprehension test. I get a 20. People are like, wait. What just happened? Then after that, I think a large part of this had to do with the network that my mom just happened to get advice from. Mm -hmm. To where first meeting, my mom and the therapist for whom I now work, I have a paragraph in front of me and I read it out loud and ask where's the main idea, what's this thing about? And I start guessing everywhere except for where the main idea was. I have this pointed out all of a sudden, okay, so what's this describing? And my mom couldn't believe it, A, because I was, because I could put together words and there was no semblance of putting together ideas. And really it's a unique circumstance when you're getting those building blocks, really in the same way that other peers get coached in sports for all kinds of different parts of how to play basketball or any other sport. There's a lot you could learn if you look up how to YouTube, but what we couldn't say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a very different situation to know, yeah, I've got this issue or that issue and to sort of build confidence mm-hmm. and work around this or that. I guess I was just surprised that a lot of folks weren't treating this as a learning disability with strategies to work around, all right, this is going to be a problem. So if it kind of seems like a sore spot, oh wait, this is kind of a disability. Mm-hmm. If it seems like it's a sore spot, that's why. Like, it's not survivor's guilt. Yeah, I got help. I was like, it was more a matter of, well, shoot. Why didn't everybody else get that same amount of help? Mm-hmm. I'll get to what this speaks to in a second. I think we're, we're all around the same age. I'm glad you brought up AJ mm-hmm. about ADD. How there have been a few people that I've worked with or who I've known who were diagnosed with it before it was the thing, before kids were prescribed all the Ritalin and whatnot. And by the way, bullet dodged, just saying, <laughs> for me. So if you see the inability to focus... That's why. It did seem like all my peers were, especially for the boys, it's like, we can't sit still. We're being medicated. Where I'm like, even at the age of eight or nine, I kind of wondered, is that really true? Or are the parents just perfectionists? I guess I'm not surprised that I was dealing with a lot of this stuff before a whole lot of people thought, hey, I think I'm a little autistic. Yeah, I think there's just not a ton of understanding there. I mean, I did have a close friend growing up who was prescribed Ritalin and actually did have ADD then. ADHD now, uh, whatever we want to call it, but he actually needed it. You could see him without it, and he had a very serious problem focusing and coordinating his thoughts. 
that with the Ritalin he was much better off. And then we would just take it to stay up late when we'd have sleepovers. I would take his Ritalin because it's <laughs> speed to me. And it was... Yeah, <laughs> speed, yeah. I, I had a friend who, I remember him being, he was on something, I don't know what, and I know that he was diagnosed as ADD and then eventually ADHD. Mm. And I remember a couple days in high school where he just decided not to take his medication and what he was like when he was like that because he would just be very energetic and very loud and he would act out and he'd get in trouble and it was because he wasn't on his medication you know yeah, yeah just an inability to stay on anything and bingo getting bored very very quickly right <laughs> i'm not trying to practice medicine it's just interesting to hear other experiences mm -hmm. to where yes it very clearly fits a need i'm of the mindset that if i need a medication i prefer to take as little as possible Sure. Because yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I don't want to get too far into the equation, but the more you take, the less effective it becomes over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tolerance. So back to advice and support. Those are group of peers of mine. They mean well. There's just a lot I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. Not a lot of folks know about them. It's easy for me to rip on blue puzzle pieces. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> so Autistic Self-Advocacy would define a disability because a lack of supports provided to autistic people. They are the minority, and this is what they say holds true for any sort of minority. Can't access what everybody else takes for granted. My concern is that my peers have spent enough time really being the snot out of themselves. They're all telling them they're different. I'm trying to say, how different are we really? I guess the first time I heard social skills this and that, I've said for a very long time, you can actually learn a lot by what not to do. Learn how you don't want to be interacted with. Do the opposite, and you'll be surprised by how far it'll get you. <laughs> there you go. The old golden rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more the opposite of the golden rule. Like, yeah. don't do what's hateful under the lead rule. <laughs> silver. No, silver's what do... Yeah, it wouldn't be silver. It'd be like... The pyrite rule, because it's fool's gold. There we go. <laughs> I just don't like flashy things, you know? <laughs> but no, it's like I keep thinking about this in terms of entertainment, where I can count on one hand the number of autism jokes from, like, all right, I'm good with that. And the people who know, they know who they are. I don't, I don't like naming names. But to make it an entertainment... Or, you know, it's the first week of August, we're all football fans. Mm -hmm. We're in, in training camp, it starts out 90 guys. Somebody gets hurt, somebody else comes in off the street. All these guys were the man where they came from. So the guys who make it to game time when it matters, week one, is 53 guys. That's 37 guys, all of whom were the man where they came from. All of whom were all football all the time. Multiply that by 32 teams in the NFL, that's almost 1,200 guys who are going to need a backup plan. And a lot of them don't have one. We're hoping for a lockout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, yeah, Union Busters, man. Yeah. I like that movie. <laughs> that would be the replacements. Yeah, the replacements. Great movie. Yeah. It's hard to say one thing's a disability, really, when the gig could be up or the odds are low, where you tell me what's really a problem, trying to make it up on Broadway, stand-up, or entertainment. And it's hard to get to the top one's field, really. Even in stand-up, I felt, whenever I've written, it's like, I can't be redundant. i got to keep on coming up with something. I'm sure both of y'all can relate. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's important to stay fresh and current as you can. You know? Absolutely, yeah. I try to. It's a work in progress, and it's really an interest. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just don't see the rest of the world beating themselves up the way that me and my peers would. They'll take things too seriously, and I think that a lot of times people don't realize that's what's at the heart of the issue. Mm -hmm. I've written a little bit about this. I want to write a little bit more about it, but it's more about absolute thinking. That's the other key that I was looking at, to where I have a hard time seeing the big picture, so I'm making rules in my head to compensate. And then I'm getting mixed signals, which is causing me problems, until I walk back. All right, why did I form this thing in the first place? Mm -hmm. It sounds like a Kant's categorical imperative, if you know that philosophy doctrine. I'm a philosophy nerd, so too. <laughs> but Kant used to say that you should set up a basic rule of the categorical imperative. You should set up hard moral rules that are simplistic and that you always follow. But 
The problem with that is that there are always going to be exceptions to those rules based on circumstances that you did not think of, and therefore you either have to make an exception to that rule or make a more complicated rule that can't survive. I'm glad you explained <laughs> that to me, seeing as how I once slept through a philosophy test. There you go. In college. Oh, through the actual test? Not through the test. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, by the way, hey, those of you who are listening to me, I cannot tell you what to do in college. I won't tell you what to do in college. I can tell you what to do to take things seriously and what to avoid doing. I'm far more qualified to say don't do that rather than hey do this I can probably say that I'm pretty qualified to say hey don't do that too yeah. as, <laughs> I can as, safely... we, as we all agree you learn more from the things not to do than the things to do exactly so. cool, cool. Yes. <laughs> that's why I generally found upon hey this when a lot of folks would be telling me these are the best years of your life you've got to enjoy it nah it doesn't turn out like that people who say that that just means that their life currently is not very good you are... yeah. <laughs> if you peaked at 18 that's just <laughs> this kind of reminded me of old bits that I've done where it was take the amount of folks who do not believe in evolution and what that really means is they won't stop going on about high school when there's an entire world around you. Mm-hmm. Or look at the average lifespan. You wouldn't want to be talking about the good old days when now by the way, if you enjoyed your college education, feel free to disagree. Wow. But it seems like with the average lifespan of an American, the years that you have are what you make of them. Yeah. Here's just something that I've noticed. Some of the last major notes that I had done. Mm-hmm. Guess how many types of intelligence have been discovered or labeled? No idea. I, I, I don't know. Nine. Okay. There's a psychologist who sort of described all this stuff named Howard Gardner. And he named out naturalist, so nature, musical, or sound, logical, mathematical, so numbers, or reasoning, uh, existential, so pondering life, interpersonal, having people skills, body kinesthetic, which is your body in coordination in space, linguistic, so understanding words, intrapersonal, knowing yourself and your tendencies, and spatial. So pictures and 3D sets. This sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard this before. Did you take it? It sounds familiar, yeah. Okay. And there's a lot of hard concepts we might be required to know for school, but mm-hmm. we just tend to forget them very easily. I don't know if you maybe have taken a psychology elective. Okay. Just interested. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, that's always a good trait to have. Yeah. No matter what. It seemed like when I first saw this, I said, well, if you have three of these, you're doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you didn't have six of them, there's no point beating yourself up. Part of it's a school concept. Part of it's being a perfectionist, which, again, you see among me and my type. Mm-hmm. So it takes a long time to figure out, okay, what can I do? How do I build these skills, which they say are soft skills, it's a separate type of intelligence, also from the same source, it's a type of intelligence to realize, okay, what can I do? Or what can I ask someone to help me with? Part of it, that's why there's tutors. Part of it's why I wish I had an eye for drawing. It would be nice to, mm-hmm. but it's like... There are so many people who they spend all their day on Photoshop. They spend all their day with graphic design. That's what I meant. Awesome logos, awesome posters. They really put a ton of effort in all day. It's pretty breathtaking to watch, really. Mm-hmm. It seems like part of that would play into disability if you never really learned how to and are too stubborn to call someone else. Mm-hmm. Was it an idea that maybe lacking one of these could be the claim of disability? So if you lack any of these, then you are quote-unquote disabled in that. In that respect. In that regard. But it if you have an inability or a very high level of impediment to acquiring that intelligence or mm-hmm. gaining it, then that might be the label of disability, if that's one form of it. Could be. That very well could be. It seems like someone's circumstances can disable them as well. Oh, sure. Lack of yeah, confidence, of lack of opportunity, that's mm-hmm. absolutely it can be a problem. Or if you're raised by mute parents, yeah. isolated, you probably would not learn to speak. You might have the ability to, but right. you had never learned, so you can't do it now. So yeah, I wouldn't say you're disabled yeah. in speech because you could learn it, you just have never acquired that yeah. skill. That kind of depends on who else they might know. Of might course, be, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That can be... Yeah, that like can... a Nell situation. That's so what I was going to say. The movie yeah. knowledge Jerry Foster, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess my concern was me and, my, me and others like me just being entirely too hard on themselves for what they were uh, struggling 
Sure. Because the outside world, I could sort of sense that, wait a minute, why are me and my peers beating themselves up mm-hmm. when we're not going to have all these skills? And I don't see everybody else being too hard on themselves because of it. Mm-hmm. Or if they are, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. A lot of these things, they don't have easy answers, mm-hmm. but it's just something to start thinking about. What do you think about the people who have the ability but don't cultivate these skills? Yeah. That yes. can be obnoxious as well. If you don't develop interpersonal skills because you don't need to, well, mm-hmm. that's rude. <laughs> not a good way to relate to people. Yeah. But also you have the ability, so I wouldn't call you, you might be quote unquote disabled in the sense that you know you don't have this ability but you're not disabled in the sense that you can't acquire it yes or it, would, it would not be difficult for you to acquire you just don't bother yeah attitude can also come into play here definitely yeah maybe while i'm editing i'll be able to make sense of this some of mm-hmm. stuff but it's complicated there's no easy answers it's just something to think about and also like you said to your point and i think we kind of realize this is that effort or determination is going to be talent when talent doesn't put the work in absolutely yes yeah. for any field really so this has been a pretty good talk yeah i know you guys have a mic mm-hmm. to hit up mm-hmm. what we're interested in with open mics we can <laughs> have so many in atlanta yeah. Get a lot of stage time. Mm-hmm. This, this one is always, uh, it's always uh, often a challenge. It's an adventure. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we learn something new every time. <laughs> there are open mics and then there are book shows. If you would like to share about some of those book shows that you will be on this coming week or the week after, feel free to share that. Soon, coming up soon. Uh, yeah, we got Ladies Night on Thursday. Village Theater, 10.30 p.m. on August 2nd. Okay, what Ladies Night is, a variety show, right? Yeah, we've got stand-up, we've got local filmmakers doing their thing. Filming little shorts. Yeah, there's some really great shorts. There's some we got some terrific stamps on this month, so it's gonna be fun. Okay, how about you, AJ? Yeah, what I got coming up um, this upcoming Saturday, August fourth, I'm on Sweet Baby Cheeses, which is a stand-up and grilled cheese spectacular hosted by Ian Aber here in town. And on the twelfth, I will be doing stand-up at Joystick Bar for Nerdlanta, which is a nerd issues podcast based here in Atlanta that also features some local comedians and uh, has local comedians perform. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so where can folks find you online? AJ Gill, no periods, no nothing, just AJ G I L on Facebook, and then on Twitter I am at H C A J G. That stands for Hardcore AJ Gill because I am <laughs> not hardcore, but I am the most hardcore AJ Gill that exists. There, so, you go. there we are. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best way, believe. Yeah. <laughs> best way for me uh, is probably uh, Twitter, which is oh, this is so. I made this when I was still playing Ultimate Frisbee, <laughs> which is why it's such a terrible name. Yeah, I got it from, it was my Ultimate Frisbee nickname because I was tall and could catch things very easily. So I was Ninja Kitas, Ninja, N-I-N-J-A-K-I-T-A-S on Twitter. All right. Cool. By the way, you know, I did not actually catch up on the sort of sacrifices we would make pursuing comedy, mm-hmm. which a lot of times the sacrifices that we make, I may have touched on this earlier, but that could be a type of a disability we could have taken things easy chilled out but we're going all out most nights of the week Mm -hmm. sacrificing sleep sacrificing a more chilled out less stressful life really it's all a trade-off it's exhilarating but there can be a lot of issues yeah it's good it's great you know (laughs) exactly yeah exactly but i think yeah when it's good it's awesome we wouldn't trade it for anything yeah i agree with that but yeah thanks for stopping by guys thanks Um, for having us yeah thanks as I recorded this, Chris had co-hosted the show Ladies Night, and AJ's shows are still pending. I'm sure they'll go great. The three of us are part of a great stand-up scene in Atlanta, where any night you can see outstanding performers on shows here. Now, when stand-up comedy is bad, though, it's another reason why you can't tell me about social cues or social skills. 
just the inappropriate things that people thought were a good idea that clearly were not a good idea to say out loud on a microphone in front of folks. It's a little bit like grades. You're only going to remember A's and F's. Also, for those who are unfamiliar with Ender's Game, the novel or the movie, it's the story of a little boy who doesn't realize all his challenges are preparation for battling an invading alien race. And reading off the nine different types of intelligence, I wonder if the guy who came up with that in 1983 wondered what he had to say about computers, how they come into that. As always, thank you all for listening. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Inside Asperger's. Twitter, that's at NAspergerPod. My email is InsideAspergers at ProtonMail.com. And stay tuned for what I have planned next.